It's Nick here, and you're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from the traditional territories of the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Husanich people. Welcome to You in the Ring, a podcast that goes deep into issues at the University of Victoria. I'm Zia Rahino, and I'm your host for You in the Ring. University is stressful. I think everyone can agree to that. Regardless of what program you're in, school can be overwhelming for anyone. There can be a lot of pressure to succeed and get good grades, and it can be hard to maintain a healthy balance between work and play. Personally, it can be hard to complain about how your work is negatively impacting your health, especially when you chose to put yourself through this. It is a choice and a privilege to be in university. I think in academic and professional spaces, most people avoid talking about mental health in order to avoid being seen as incapable or even less intelligent. Which is why it's even more impressive when someone such as a professor is open about their own mental health struggles. That's how I felt with one of my professors. And I was fortunate enough that they agreed to be interviewed to discuss this. Here's our conversation. Hi, my name is uh, Ian O'Connell. I'm a professor of geography in the here at UVic in the department in the Faculty of Social Sciences, uh, uh, he him is what I go by, and um, like I said, happy to be here. Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that even with a person as open as Ian, mental health is still a difficult topic to talk about. He had his own hesitations with this interview, and given that this is a completely different space than a lecture hall, that's completely understandable. So I'd like to thank Ian once again for sharing his story. As we talk about mental health in society as a whole and especially today in academic spaces it's it's this and as a geographer perhaps we're kind of more attuned to this is this idea of safe places okay and on campus we have lots and lots of safe places which is UVic is really good for that but this idea of a self like a place where you can just be comfortable so the anxiety is part of who I am and it's that the idea of not knowing what the interview was going to be be like I mean you were wonderful you provided me with lots of information and support but it was just when you suffer for these kind of issues your brain is going 101 different directions it's one of those things that it's as academics or as part of the academy of students is that this is what we do we that's what we do every day it's our, we are especially as a professor you're you have think of a different way of doing something trying to come up with a new way of thinking about something so we're actually training our brains in one sense, to feed into that bad idea of going. So instead of you going, what if, you go, what if, and then if I do that, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and suddenly you've spiraled and you're, that's when you get into those positions where you just no longer can do anything else. And as I realized through, on this new journey that that was happening to me for years, but I didn't recognize that it was happening to me. And now, thank goodness, I am. So diving into this episode's topic of conversation, Absolutely. Um, what does mental health and mental health wellness mean to you? If you don't mind, I'm going to answer that with a journey of my own because I'm working on what that means is, is the best phrase. And I'm not avoiding your question. I'm going to give you the story, the trajectory. I'm a geographer. Of course, I'm going to give you the story and it has distance involved in it. Um, I'll be honest, origin, before I was diagnosed, I 
didn't know anything about it, really. I knew it existed. And being a professor, students will come to you with issues and everything else. And I've always been exceptionally open to that. You know, okay, if you've had a bad week, here's an extension. Okay, this is, you know, okay, you're not really doing so well as you thought in this class. Let's see if we can find positive. So I was always very good at that for everybody else. But I was absolutely terrible at that for myself. So I would, so my idea of what mental illness was, was in one sense, I thought it was a weakness that people would have, or it would be something that, you know, well, you're not mentally, this isn't an illness or a syndrome. You're just, just cheer up is in my, was, what was going through my head. And I never said this to anyone. It was just, you know, oh, mental illness. People should just smile more and all this kind of stuff. And then I realized on my own journey that, that that's one of the big stigmas about it is that it, it's invisible. It was invisible in me. I couldn't see it in other people. You know, I'm very good looking after students with their mental health issues, and I was appreciative of it, but I didn't really understand it, is the way I would put it. Is I didn't truly understand the enormity of it. I understood that it was impacting people. It was impacting their ability to succeed, and especially in my own classes. So I, I want my students to succeed. So I would give them the space they needed. I would give them the time they needed. I would listen to them. I would, uh, I would mentor them as best I could. But I wasn't doing it to myself because I didn't know what was, and it's the wrong word, but it, my counselor and I work very carefully on vocabulary. Vocabulary is important when you talk about mental health and Ill wellness, is that I didn't know that there was anything wrong with me. And wrong is the wrong word, but I didn't know that I was suffering is probably a better way of putting that. And so what, so I didn't realize but what I didn't know I was doing was I was just focusing completely on my job every, to the detriment of everything else. That it was, I would put what energy I had was into teaching, looking after my students, going to meetings and everything else because that I felt I had control. Okay, that I controlled that because there's a lecture, here are my slides, I can manage that. But when my brain would then be anxious, I had no control because the brain was so the best thing to do with that was not listen to that part of the brain and do this. So COVID hit, right? And as you've noticed, I love being in front of the classroom. That's one of my safe places. It sounds kind of a strange place to be safe, but that's one of my safe places. And when COVID hit us, I was also the undergraduate advisor for the geography department. So I had all that extra responsibility. So I had that responsibility of being empathic to students who were trying to finish their degrees and suddenly courses were being cancelled or not being this and there was a hot and, and that summer I didn't get a single break and then went straight into the September one and COVID was starting and then we started hearing about be well be calm be kind and it was all this stuff and then I was just getting overwhelmed and I was literally as I said to my counselor and my doctor I was running on fumes and actually, I was running on the fumes of fumes. I didn't even have fumes left to run on. I wasn't sleeping. I was worried about everything. I was worried about even the smallest. If, even if a door closed loudly, I would jump. I was so much on edge. So I literally phoned my doctor to make an appointment. And all I wanted was sleeping tablets. I just wanted something to help me sleep. And thank goodness, I'm one of the privileged people. I have a family doctor. So she's known me for 20 years. She took one look and went, nope, you're off work. 
And I went, no, 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 I'm not off work. I've all these students to look after. I've, I'm teaching three classes. Like, and I was there. And she's looking at me and going, no, you're off work. You're not well. And then it hit me that I was not well. And this is one of these confidentially sharing moments that I've gone back and forth on whether I should share it or not, is was sitting having dinner with my wife. And she looked up at me and she said, you know, I love you, right? And I went, yes. She said, don't really like you at the moment. And my that was the kick to my brain. That was when the brain stopped and went, what? And that's when I started to reach out for help. And that's when I called my doctor thinking that sleep would help. I'd gone way past needing sleep. I needed a lot more than sleep. So luckily I was, I was literally that then that following morning, I logged on to, to zoom to say goodbye to the students. And I was in floods, floods of tears saying goodbye to them. But it was very nice. I've kept the zoom chat of that because it was all these you've got this Ian thanks for what you've done like and it was all and I, I go back to that every now and again it's very kind of it's like oh thank you so much for that and then it was then I started seeing a counselor and I saw a counselor every week and then the counselor has helped me realize that I'm on a journey like she would laugh at me and she's wonderful because I'd go so when am I going to be fixed and she's going there's no fix you're going to become better and you're going to be understanding of it. So then mental, so it was counseling was the key and actually asking for help was the key. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was is that that's the key. It's not, I mean, obviously I, I was given some medication to help and I was counseling to help, but it's just asking for help is, so to me now, mental health wellness means your ability to ask for help. And be that a professional who can help you or just your roommate or your friend or a colleague or just to, someone says how are you doing our norm our reaction is to say we're fine but we're not so um so to me it's i've found this great strength now that i'm like i can i can feel that i'm stronger than what i was and that the stigma that we have in society on mental health, like weakness is not good and all this, and it was, no. I think the ability to cry and the ability to care is not, is quite the opposite. I was feeling so critical of myself that I'd let my students down. And a friend turned around to me and said, you taught them more in five minutes there than you did in the whole semester. And I went, that's not a compliment. And they went, no, no, no. You showed them for that couple of minutes how it's okay to not be well. It's okay to realize you can't do it anymore. That that's, and that it's okay to start getting well again. The two things that have helped me the most when I share my, my, my battles with this is self-criticism self -criticism versus self-compassion. It's very easy to self-criticize. It's very easy to self-criticize. Like, you don't do well on a midterm. What did I do? Oh, I, 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 you criticize. You don't say, wow, I had a bad week. I had three midterms. You, you, we don't go to there. We go to criticizing ourselves. So it's trying to move from self-criticism to self-compassion. And that's a journey. I'm not there yet. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. I think you said a lot of like important things, especially at least being a student. I Or not even like not even specific to being a student, I think like personally 
I can also be really hard on myself. I feel like I am able to like be patient to other people and be understanding and kind of give them space. But then when it's me, I have like these really high standards for myself. Absolutely. Yeah. When I don't even do the same to other people. Yes. And especially when it comes to mental health and mental wellness, I feel like coming to grips with the fact that it is a journey and you will never be completely fixed. Nope. You'll just become better at dealing with your problems and be more at peace with yourself and kind of yep. accept that like you're going to have those hard days yep. and that's okay yep. because you're going to learn how to adjust with that and like kind of be okay with being sad once in a while because you know that there are also really great days when you're with your friends and family yep. or doing the things you love you know yeah, exactly i mean and that's that's the thing about self-compassion is that when you do suffer with mental health issues again that idea of being in, it's invisible you are seen as this great support for the people around you because that's where you've placed your emotional energy but you're not being a good support for yourself in that environment and that's the thing is that anxiety and feeling low or depressed are natural feelings but you're not supposed to have them all the time like you have an exam coming up. It's okay to be anxious that there's an exam coming up because that will focus you to study for it. But it's not okay to be so anxious that it doesn't make you well. It's the same, like it's that taking that joy. You said like you, giving yourself permission to have a bad day. With me, that was a failure. I had a bad day, that was, I'm a failure. And again, using vocabulary, again, my amazing counselors helped me with is that I would use the word should of instead of could of when I talked to her and her we don't use the, don't stop using the word should have and I said why not and she said should have is automatically self-critical I should have done this it means you've already told yourself you made the wrong decision whereas if you say I could have done this you're giving yourself permission that you had another choice and I'm there going that doesn't make oh hang on that makes really good sense when you listen to the words right and this ability to take joy in simple things was how my well, how my support from my counselor and doctor began was it was giving myself permission to have bad days and giving myself permission to say this was a good day. And my idea of a good day was huge. And that, no, no, did you get up this morning, Ian? Yes. Did you have a shower this morning? Yes, you've had a great day. And I'm there going, how is that a great day? I haven't achieved. And No, no, no. You got up. You showered. You got as far as the sofa. It's a good day. And I'm like, that's a, no, that's a good day. You achieved something today. Then the next day, same thing. Then the day after that, oh, I made lunch for everyone. That's a brilliant day. But the one I remember, and this is, as I said, I chatted to my colleague about this. Uh, my colleague has two young sons, toddlers. And part of my wellness was getting outside because I would go home, work. I mean, I would stay up to all hours answering emails and so I wasn't enjoying the outdoors or anything. And I live in Victoria, enjoy the outdoors all year round. So my colleague said, well, why don't you come for, look, come for a walk with me and me and the boys? Just come for a walk and we won't talk about work because you're off work and we won't delve into anything. We'll just chit chat and we'll... And I used to, <laughs> I call her sons my therapy toddlers <laughs> because it's that joy in the moment that I was missing, that we would walk around the corner from the trail and there would be swings. And then they'd start laughing and smiling and be, oh, swings, swings. And you'll go, I'm looking going, 
why can't I be joyful like that? And then I started to realize it is, it's the little things. You look out, it's a beautiful day, or my teenager comes home and decides to talk to me. I mean, he does always talk to me, but this idea he'd share something that was important to him, that's a good day. Like little things, we don't, we get joyful at amazing events, weddings, births, convocations, but really those are, they just last for a split second, really. But, you know, you get up, you meet your friend to go for a coffee and they, they smile at you and ask you how your day is. That's a good day, right? And that's what I'm doing. I'm looking for the little nuggets. Yeah, I think it's really important that you said that, like, it's totally different from person to person. And I think the reason why that I, like, really respect and admire you is because, like, obviously there is a power dynamic being a student and being a professor. Mm -hmm. But because of that, it's not very common for professors to be vulnerable to their students. They're yeah. kind of, like, they place this wall where they're, like, strictly professional yeah. or, like, this is business. Yeah. Going into that idea of like sharing with your students, yeah. can you tell the story of the first time you were honest the, about the, your mental health struggles in front of your students? Was the first time with my class? That was the first that, time. Yeah, okay. And again, I, I come back to that idea of safe spaces. I didn't actively make the decision to do it. I talked to people about it. Again, some people said I should. Some people said I shouldn't. And again, that power dynamic, you know, do you want to look weak to your students? And then that was that phrase didn't, I don't, didn't sit comfortably with me because I don't think I'm weak. I have an illness, but I'm not weak. And I know from my many years of teaching here at UVic is that mental health is, I mean, COVID focused us on it, but it's been with us forever in academia because it's sometimes, you know, it's, we're under, very unusual pressure. It's This isn't like a job where you go in at nine o'clock and you clock off at five and it's done. It's not, you have a paper due. You have an exam the next day. I have a class to prepare. And we, we kind of move into the next day and we haven't even started the next day, right? I honestly didn't decide until I stood in front of you all. It was at that moment that I felt for me, being in front of a class of students is my safe place. It's one of the places I'm Ian. I'm Ian at home with my family and I'm Ian in front of that classroom. And it's, I am who I am. And you know, I make silly jokes and do funny things in the classroom, but that's because I want students to relax. Not that I'm not, I don't want to make this material seem unimportant, but you know, it's, this is, this is, we're learning together here. So I stood there and I looked up at everybody and we were all with our masks on and there was all the issues. Should we have, should we be back? Should we not back? And people were anxious. And I went, no, this is the time. This is when I say, look, everyone, we're in this together. Uh, I promise you, I'm going to try my best for you, but I'm giving you a heads up that this is difficult for me to be here in front of you. I want to be here in front of you. And as soon as I said it, I felt unbelievable relief, even though I didn't get the applause to the end. And that's the point. I only got applause once. There should be much more applause. <laughs> so then I got into the class and I got my rhythm and I was able to move, which I wasn't able to do with COVID. So I was able to be me in front of that room again. And just the applause at the end. And then I think it was two or three students walked me back to my office saying, thanks for sharing. I really appreciate that someone would do that. 
it's again, it's that idea of the invisibility. Like when I posted on Facebook to my family and friends, everybody was telling me how brave I was to share my story. And, and I'm there, well, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be brave. If you break your leg, you're not hiding that from anybody, right? If you, you know, people see you, oh, how'd you break your leg? And, you know, our emotions are, if you're suffering from mental health issues, it's something inside you is making you fearful. Something inside you is making you scared. And, you know, I'm a dad. If my kid, when my kid was small and he was fearful and scared, he got a hug. And that's kind of, not a hug to everybody, because especially with COVID, we can't do that. But it's like, it's to let people know, you know, there's people suffering like you, might be suffering more, might be suffering less, but you're not in this alone. And that's the hardest bit was asking for help. For me, like I told you earlier, that was, once I asked for help, it was like a tsunami of emotions. Like when I went to my counselor, it was, I was raw, I'd cry for most of it. I still, I mean, when you, when, when all of you clapped for me, I was crying, but it was tears of absolute joy. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where not that I want to be an example, because that's not my job. My job is to look after me. But it's more to say to people that look, this is okay. You know, and you should be allowed to say this. And you should be allowed to be... I know it's the wrong word again. You should, you're allowed to not be the perfect, strong rock. Because, again, I'm a geographer. Rocks can break. With enough pressure put on them, geomorphologists will tell you that, right? <laughs> like I said, I've been sick for many years without realizing it, is that I would give a lecture and I'd walk back to my office and I'd just beat myself up in my head. That was terrible. That slide was in the wrong spot. And I would do all this in my head. And then I would bump into a student on the way to the bus or on the way home and a student would say, that was just the best lecture I've ever seen. And you're going, were you in the same lecture I was in? And it's because that self-criticism, that ability to criticize yourself, rather than going to myself, that slide might not have been in the good place, but I think that was a really good class. You don't do that, you go the critical way. Not any, not that's my plan now, more self-compassion. I think it is so important that you brought up like how much better it is when you start sharing and actually talking to people. Cause I feel like, at least in my experience, when I am going through something, I think my first impulse is to kind of like shut down and like isolate and yeah, kind of think that like oh I'm I think I'm just being dramatic I think I can just solve this by myself and like I'll be fine at least in my experience whenever I have opened up to someone and have shared like how I'm feeling I've always been met with compassion absolutely yeah. that that was what I found it was as soon as I told people oh we didn't know is there anything I can do for you can, do you want to go for a walk? I can just listen, you know, and it, it, it's amazing that you just open up. Whereas you think, I like, like what you just said there, that was exactly me. And the, the second you say the word, I'm fine, it's defensive. You already are not fine. The second you said that word, you're not fine because you're defending it. I'm fine, leave me alone. Right. Yeah, so, you're kind yeah. of just like pushing your feelings away when you should just let yourself feel whatever exactly. you're feeling. You know, it's it's like I said about the, the therapy toddlers, we should be back to being five. You're allowed to get upset and cry because you don't like that sweater. You're, you know, it's acceptable when you're a child. Now it's childish. I don't want to be a grown up. I want to be able to, exp I mean, obviously you don't want to throw a tantrum in the middle of the grocery store, but you know, I, you, this idea of 
like we encourage children to enjoy their emotions and then somehow society makes us no you have to be stoic you have to be you know being silly is that word silly what, what's wrong with being silly what's wrong with having a laugh what's wrong like it's like when i teach it's a very technical dry subject that doesn't stop me coming up with some funny bits and pieces for it you know and it's still not demeaning the material or your learning so yeah i'm fine as a very defensive wall situation for people who don't know it's still stigmatized especially in western society there's this you have to be successful right? there's this drive that you know you have to get a good job you have to get a nice car you have to have and there's this drive to be successful and that successful success is defined with things not feelings and i sometimes feel that society doesn't accept weakness right and it should because the whole concept of society is it's a full spectrum it's a full rainbow of different types of people different ethnicities different genders different sexualities the world is a wonderful diverse place but it's this idea of we all have to be well if you're not well something's up and that's i think that's the issue and i think it's a hard, terrible thing. I think one of the good, one of the only good thing that came out of COVID is that I think mental health now has become more visible. It's talked about more. Um, here in the Student Union building, Student Union Society has got that um, help for, for people who are feeling mental illness issues with the Ukrainian war, right? The, the university has wellness situations, so it's there that there's an acceptance more that it's getting there and COVID did that it, it let you know people were on their own and suddenly you didn't have a support network or you didn't have you were feeling scared to go shopping because you might get sick and then there was fear and and then fear people never react well when there's fear that's when you get aggressive responses and everything else your generation have lived through COVID and my son and his teenagers and his friends and they've become very much aware of mental health issues and they've been you know high schools have been talking about it universities been talking about it. so my hope in the future is that this generation doesn't have to deal with the hang-ups that my generation had with it you know I mean the obvious gap is we don't have enough family doctors that's a huge gap I was I was lucky I had a family doctor who knew me so when I went to see her, she had my whole history in front of her. Okay, and that's, you know, that's a practical gap. These gaps are very real barriers that have to be dealt with. Especially in Victoria, where most people don't even have a family doctor. There's a general lack of available counselors and therapists, which often results in long wait lists and having to book weeks or even a month in advance just to get a session. And these things are not being said to discourage anyone, but it is important to recognize that as simple as just talking to someone sounds, there are still so many barriers preventing people from doing so. Not everyone can afford to pay for a counselor. You may get lucky and have access to free counselors through your work or university, but that might not work for everyone, in which case it may be suitable to find one that offers a sliding scale which is when fees are adjusted depending on an individual's income. If someone struggles with opening up and talking about difficult topics, 
One thing to consider is to find a therapist that is a good fit personality-wise so that it's more comfortable to have these conversations. Similarly, if you are someone who is neurodivergent or has a disability, then finding a counselor that shares those same experiences then might make you feel more understood or they might be able to provide guidance that is more appropriate to how you operate. The most important thing is to find what works best for you and that might not look the same as everyone else. So I encourage everyone to take the time to figure that out to help make therapy a more enjoyable experience rather than a stressful one. Therapy also isn't the only thing you can do. There are so many things that you can try alongside that might help. Having an outlet to release stress can be beneficial. I'm sure most people have heard exercise, journaling, meditation, or doing something creative such as painting or playing an instrument can be a good thing to focus on. For someone who is struggling, it can be easy to think, well, how can these things make me feel better? Or I've tried these things, but they don't work. If you haven't tried these things, be open to it and maybe see how doing it consistently makes you feel. If they don't necessarily make you feel any better, it is not a failure on your part. What works for others doesn't always have to work for you. Sometimes trying out new things can also be overwhelming. So leaning into what you are already interested in or love doing, finding ways to expand that or finding a way that incorporates growth and learning can be a step you can take to improve your mental health. There is no right or wrong way to go about this because mental health is an individual experience it's different for everyone. Here is a great story from Ian about one way he learned how to take care of himself and how to manage his energy when he doesn't feel his best. I couldn't work out when I was unwell. I couldn't manage my energy. Like I would teach on Zoom and I would literally go into the sofa and I'd lie myself into a ball to give myself enough energy to come back and teach the next class an hour later. So part of what I couldn't realize is I wasn't able to understand how much emotional energy was affecting my physical energy. And that's one of the that's one of those things about the invisibility of mental health is that your body is flooding itself with not nice things because you're not because you're anxious or you're depressed. And then that impacts the physical body. So when I was talking to my counselor, I was trying to work out like when when she'd say to me, well, you had a good day. You got up, you had a shower and you walked to the store. And I'm there going, but I was exhausted. And then she was trying to explain to me, well, of course you were exhausted. You've got all this emotional energy that's draining your physical energy. So she gave me, and I don't know where exactly where it came from. Uh, we called it the spoon theory. So in a day, you have 12 spoons to spend. So for each spoon, a spoon is like a shower is two spoons. Driving the car is four spoons. Going to work is eight spoons. So it's a currency. So it allows you to not think about individual things you've done. It's to say, okay, I've used all my spoons today. I'm done. The currency changes, right? So sometimes something that was one spoon is now going to be half a spoon. Something that was five spoons is now one spoon. So it's an evolving thing. So in, at home, it became, because I was getting frustrated with myself by not being able to do things we use the phrase at home do you have any spoons left meaning are you up to doing something else so that became the rather than saying how are you feeling how's it going right it was more do you have any spoons left 
or how are your spoons today? So my wife and my son for Christmas got me 12 wooden spoons. And on each of the spoons they wrote, you've got this, love you dad, and all this sort of stuff. So I have these spoons at home, I love them. Because spoons became part of the language. And it was that again of removing that invisibility that, you know, I'm out of spoons. Or, look, so we, we're, we're going to go for a walk tonight. Can you save some spoons for the walk? You know, and so it became a way that we could communicate about how I was feeling. Because at the time, I was still in that guilt stigma idea of going, oh, I should be able to do this. But this, the spoon thing was that became, so for Christmas, we got spoons. I got spoons. I got a heated, I got a weighted blanket. I got an aromatherapy kit. <laughs> so I got, I got all these things to help me get well. So, uh, yeah, the spoons work for me. So whenever I talk to people, I go, you're out of spoons. I'm out of what? Spoons, look, here's the deal. When you get up in the morning, <laughs> so I, always the teacher, always the teacher. But I don't think of spoons anymore. I, you know, it's, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'll say, I'm just not up to it. And that ability to understand that you're not up to something and your ability to be honest is important to people around you because you can't just say I don't want to do it because then that will upset them but you can say I'm just not up to it today I'm today was a bad day or today today was a great day why don't we go and do something fun and this idea of society you know this ability to understand that sometimes I'm able to give sometimes I'm not but this ability to be honest with yourself when it comes to mental illness is very hard to come to and again I'm on that journey that you know I'm not I'm still cross with myself every now and again but now I have the tools and that's the reason why you reach for help is to give you the tools the first thing everybody needs to think about is that you're not on your own even if you feel you're on your own you're not on your own that the most important step that I did and I think it's an important step that everybody can do is you reach out for help. And whatever that help becomes is the is your journey. Because it's going to be everybody's journey is going to be different. I'm not saying that what I did worked. It did. It's worked for me. I was lucky I had a great doctor. I was lucky that I found a counselor who connected with me and what they said made sense. But the most important thing is again is you need to reach out you need to say to someone i'm having a bad day and say it to someone that will listen to you and someone and the thing is it's you'll be surprised who that is you'll be surprised that it's just it might be a roommate it might be a lab mate in a class it might be someone you know you just you happen to be in a group we're doing some studying that you're not friends you just happen to have been just let them know and that is the most important first step is to ask for help and that by asking for help you've already accepted that you are ill it's not that you have a problem and that was part of what i thought was you you think you have a problem you don't you're ill and that's the one where it's the two buzzwords that i keep in my head now is self-compassion not self-criticism and that's a difficult, that's the journey I'm on because it's very easy to be self-critical. It's actually quite hard to be self-compassion because you feel that you're selfish. 
well, you're not being selfish because you can't be there for your family and your friends and your loved ones if you're not there for yourself first. So what I would take, what I would ask people to take from this is take a breath. It's the most important thing. Breathe. Talk to someone. Talk and reach out. And smile at the little things. And the little things can be the littlest things of all. You walk outside your house and you see, a, we're in Victoria now, a daffodil. Isn't it beautiful? Enjoy that second. And that's a mate, that little second is a, should be enough. Thank you for having me today, actually, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. That was fun. <laughs> I hope you probably have way too much. In this episode, we discuss the importance of seeking support around mental health, so we wanted to provide some local resources. On campus, there's the UVic Peer Support Center, where you can reach out if you're struggling with or have questions regarding mental health, are concerned for a friend, or need help accessing resources both on and off campus. To access them, you can go to uvss.ca slash peer support center, or you can find them in the basement of the sub, room B035. The Student Wellness Center on campus provides resources as well in the Health and Wellness Building on campus. You can also call at 250-721-8563. CAL, the Center for Accessible Learning, works with faculty and students to promote educational equity and accessibility for students with disabilities. They create academic accommodations for students with learning disabilities, mental health conditions, or long-term recurring physical or sensory disabilities, among others. For general inquiries about Cal, you can phone them at 250-472-4947 or email them at infocal at uvic.ca. Wellness Together Canada offers free online support with one's mental health journey. These resources include self-assessment tools, self-guided courses, one-on-one counseling, and an online community of support. You can access this at wellnesstogether.ca. Off-campus, the Foundry offers young people ages 12 to 24 health and wellness resources, services, and supports, both online and in person. For more information, you can call Foundry Victoria at 250-383-3552, starting 9.30 daily, or you can visit victoriayouthclinic.ca for more details. The Greater Victoria Citizens Counseling Centre offers affordable, accessible counselling to adult residents of Greater Victoria. All counseling is offered by volunteer counselors trained and supervised by the center. They have a sliding scale fee based on family income. To find out more, visit citizenscounseling.com or call 250-384-9934. Lastly, Vancouver Island Crisis Line is a 24-hour support line for emergency mental health services. You can call them at 1-888-494-3888. Text services are also available from 6 to 10 p.m. at 250-800-3806. This episode was produced by Zia Rahino, with help from Nicola Watts. Thank you to our guest, Ian O'Connell. This program would not have been possible without the support of the University of Victoria and the work-study program. Original sounds and intro track produced by Zia Rahino. If you like what you heard, check out other episodes of You in the Ring and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the thing is that there's no, like like I said, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I'm on Facebook. I don't even count it as social media because it's basically it's friends from university showing each other pictures of their babies who are now all teenagers. And then we all text each other going, we're not that old. 
Weren't we, weren't we weren't we heading out to the bar this time last week? You know, yeah, no, our teenagers are now heading out to the bar. So social media is going I think I think historians are going to look back on social media and go, what were you thinking about? Why did you all think that was a good idea? And then, you know, it has it does good. Right. But it's it's the constant flick, flick.